So besides the cycling that I really miss, I'm not a huge fan of the sandwiches or the crisps. It, every time I go back to the Netherlands, I just want a like raisin bun with cheese and I just want some nibbets, the crisps. Welcome to Celebrating Connections, a short series of podcasts celebrating the amazing things happening on either side of the North Sea. My name is Nick Heath and I'm Britain's Deputy Ambassador to the Netherlands. I'm helping to prepare a landmark state visit by King Willem-Alexander and Queen Maxima to London. But alongside the pomp and the splendour, the carriages, the speeches and the parades of soldiers, it strikes me that what makes this friendship an indispensable partnership is broader than royalty or governments. It's about thousands of human stories, or connections, crisscrossing the North Sea. In this series, I'll be meeting a group of exceptional people who are writing a new chapter in Anglo-Dutch relations. Dutch people living and working in the UK, and British people making a name for themselves here. And I'll be exploring with them what it takes to move from the countries they grew up in and thrive in the countries they've come to call home. My guest today is Sonna from the Books and Quills YouTube channel and podcast. Uh, Sonna, it's great to have you here. Why don't you introduce yourself? Of course. Um, so my name is Sonne Vliegentart and I'm a freelance digital producer living in London for about six years now, originally from the Netherlands. And I also run the YouTube channel Books and Quills and I've been doing that for about 10 years. I mostly talk about books there, a bit about London and culture and university advice as well. This one is to all the books I'll never read. To all the books that were on my university reading list, but that I never finished. Of course, you were always going to be first. On the- I was watching your YouTube channel mm-hmm. last night. For 170,000 um, yep. people who subscribe, that's pretty amazing. Do you want to say a little bit about what it is that you do on a daily basis how does that work of course so I've mostly been doing it next to first my university degree and then next to a full-time job I've only just gone freelance and doing digital production as well Um, but basically every weekend I record one or two videos I record it myself I edit it myself I sort of write the scripts for it myself and I do a lot of book reviewing talking about books but also anything that goes around that so book to film adaptations I love to go see those and review those Um, I take people on little tours of London or I take them on a trip with me so when I go visit Amsterdam I love to film as well because people will always like seeing me back in the Netherlands and want to see what I get up to there Um, and I've also made a lot of friends who are fellow YouTubers who have the same hobby that I have my current flatmate as well does YouTube so it's nice to be around people who kind of have a similar hobby okay and um, tell me so that is an amazing thing that people have only been doing for I don't know, half a decade, maybe a bit more. How did you get into it? How did it come about that you started doing this? And, and as I understand from you, just now totally professionally, right? This is this is your job. This is how you do it. How did, how did it start? Yeah, so at the moment, it's my part-time job, okay. I would say. Um, but basically, I started watching YouTube probably in 2006, so pretty early on. Um, I loved watching the Vlogbrothers, John and Hank Green. John is an author as well. Um, and they were part of the reason that kind of inspired me to make videos. They talked about topics that I was interested in. There were some other channels as well that I liked. And mostly I just wanted to be part of that community. I loved those conversations. I really liked those people. And at that point, it felt like the best way to be part of it was by making videos myself. So that is how I got started. I'd never edited a video before. I sort of wow. took Windows Movie Maker Amazing. and my point and shoot camera that could record for about 30 seconds at the time. No smartphones. Um, so I just 
kind of figured it out. And for the first couple of years, um, I just made content about a bunch of different things, really, but then started getting in touch with people and started making friends. And I think that is one of the big reasons that I've stuck around as well. Like I've made such nice connections through it. And was that was that happening when you were studying at Leiden? Because you studied English literature. Yes, I did. Um, And I I basically started my channel in my first year. And I think that's how books came into it as well, because I didn't start as a book channel, because I think a lot of people didn't really have a theme for their channel at the time. They just kind of talked about their lives very often. Um, And I started talking about the books I was reading or when I got a package in with new books for my course, I would unbox them and show them off. Um, And yeah, I, I did feel studying as well. I did have enough time to also um, work on those videos and, and work on the channel. And I think I learned so much in my degree, but at the same time, I think I also learned so much by talking about books on the internet and yeah. and watching it back and editing it. And it also really helped with my English. I really found that just sitting down and talking basically to myself, but to a camera um, for like quite long periods of time and then editing it and hearing, for example, the mistakes that I made, um, that, that really improved my English quite a lot, especially in the first couple of years. I got this one from the agency who was doing the film. So you might be able to guess what this one is. It is The Darkest Minds by Alexandra Brecken and it is the film tie-in. This one actually has like pictures from the film in it. I heard lots about this before and it obviously came up when I was looking for a book to film adaptations. So, so you're doing it um, in your first year at university mm-hmm. and you're doing it almost on the books on your course. At what point do you think, crikey, people are really listening, you know? Was there a moment where you thought, wow, this is resonating with people? It's always a bit of a gradual build. I think for a lot of people it is. Sometimes people have like this massive moment where suddenly their channel becomes big. For me, it's always been really, really gradual. Of course, I've had moments where another lovely person gave me shout out and suddenly there's a couple thousand more people which is amazing but it's always been a really nice build I um I entered a competition in 2000 and I think it was 10 or 11 which was called YouTube Next Up um and it was the European edition and I was actually one of the winners of that so I got flown out to London and did some training there and that's when I started thinking about it a little bit more in sort of an analytical way and thinking a bit more about the strategy. But even still at that point, there wasn't really any money to be made from it. It was still very much something that you just kind of do in your in your spare time. It's, it's so different from what it's like now. And then, so was it 2012 that you moved to London? Twenty. 20- I never quite remember. It's six years ago. So yeah, it would have been 2012. 2012 yeah. yeah. Uh, but you moved from the States, is that right? No, so I moved, I moved from the Netherlands. Okay. I did do um, three months abroad in the States. Um, I think maybe my third year of university. Um, but after I graduated from my master's in Leiden and I was still living in Kaltwijk, I decided to move to London mostly because one of my American friends that I'd met through YouTube said she was going to study right. um, in London for two years. And she sort of joked saying, oh, you should come and we'll find an apartment together. <laughs> and, you know, you don't have a job lined up. You're living with your parents. You're totally free to do this. And... I thought about it a bit and then she came back to me and asked again and said, well, we'll have to make a decision. And I just just said yes. Wow. I just went with it. Jumped at it. Thinking back, sometimes I think I don't know how I just went ahead and did it. But in my head, I thought it, it is so close. Um, and I just thought I'll try it for a year. And if it doesn't work out, I'll move back and that's fine. So those first few months, I mean, what's it like arriving in London and kind of having to create create it? How did, how did you go about it? So finding a flat was very right. tricky yes, I bet. because it was, um, we found it with four, with three other friends, basically. It was the four of us. 
um, two of them American students, one of them a recent graduate from England, and me a recent graduate from the Netherlands. So very tricky to find a flat, but we managed it. Um, and I think the one thing that really helped me is that I already had a bit of a community built in there because I instantly started meeting other fellow YouTubers and went to someone's birthday party and met some people there. And that was really nice. And then on the other end as well, because I'd been talking about books online, I also started getting in touch with publishers. Um, and that's how I got my first like two week work experience placement by talking to people and sort of getting in touch with them. And sometimes I got invited to a book launch and I'd meet some people there. And that's how I slowly but surely over the next couple of months um, sort of, yeah, started getting to know people in the publishing industry and, and ended up with a job there. Um, I do have to say that I did a lot of applying to jobs right. and a lot of not hearing back and getting quite demotivated in the beginning. It was it was quite tough. But because of my head, I said, I'm going to do this for a year and see how it goes. I always thought it is fine if it doesn't work out. I'm having a great time living in this city. I was going to the museums all the time and walking around. I saw so much of the city in those first couple of months because I didn't have a job yet. How big a transition did you find it as a Dutch person coming across the UK? Was the language challenging or did you find other things that were, were different? The, the thing I always find the hardest and sometimes still find the hardest, I never know what shop to go to <laughs> for a certain item. So I'll say, oh, if only there was a Hema around the corner, I know I'd be able to get this yeah, that yeah. Um, and I still have to ask my English friends like oh if I was if I, if I were looking for this specific item where would I go that happens quite a lot I think especially in London because sometimes those like bigger sort of homeware shops and things like that are further out um, for me the adjustment was because I came from such a like quite a small town in the Netherlands and then moved to a massive town right. it was both that plus moving to a different country so I find it hard to figure out which differences were because of small town to massive city and which ones were because of the, the cultural difference. And if you're kind of, you're right, because you're moving country, size of city, you're starting a new career, mm -hmm. you know, like... There's trying not to, a lot, yeah, not trying a lot to live on same. my own as well, like not living right. with my parents anymore, not being a student anymore. Yeah, yeah so there were lots of things so to YouTube figure out. So YouTube is almost the constant there, right? It's yeah, like... exactly. Yeah, and I kept doing that throughout that year when I didn't have a job and I was finding it quite hard. I consistently kept doing YouTube and that was one of the things that got me loads of opportunities as well. So it was nice to hold on to that. And if you're able, I guess, to, to use the YouTube um, uh, recognition to help you with getting uh, into publishing houses as well, mm. which is what you're trying to do, that that's like a really nice uh, combination, I guess. And that's... it's the thing that became my expertise that I didn't right. realize was an expertise yeah. because when I did my first internship, I thought, oh, being able to edit videos, shoot videos, do social media, know what the right tone of voice is, how to engage an audience, that's actually a skill. And I didn't realize it was until I started interning. And that's when I could focus a little bit more when I was doing the job hunt and kind of then I knew what to apply for. Hi, this is not quite my April book haul. As you might have seen on Twitter and Instagram stories, I went on a London bookshop crawl recently with some booktubers and book bloggers, and in the beginning, I was quite good. I didn't buy that many books. Tell me a bit more about the, um, sort of, of the YouTube or digital influencing community in London, right? Because I think, I think from here, seen from here, it looks like such a much more developed, um, uh, sort of market kind of community than in lots of places around the world, probably even here than in the Netherlands too. Is that fair? Does it feel like a big, big pond at the moment with lots of people? It's big and small at the same time. Yeah, okay. There's definitely different groups, sort of people that started at different times and formed a nice bond. And then there's sort of newer and older generations as well. And those generations are sometimes one or two years apart. Um, yeah. 
But then there's there's events. There's things like Summer in the City where a lot of them meet. There's the YouTube space in London as well where you can go and, and rent sort of a, a studio to shoot a video and they regularly do events. I went to an editing course there recently. Yeah. So it's certain events and certain things. And there's also things like movie premieres and, and other kinds of events where you regularly meet like other fellow YouTubers. That's where we tend to, to meet up. And um, the sort of... The, the model of like how it works and how people can turn it into a bit of a job as well, mm. that must be developing all the time. People are sort of doing new things and, and creating new ways of, of building an audience. Definitely. Does, that, does it feel like quite a dynamic sort of place to be working? It really depends on what you want from it. I think a lot of people are so happy to do it as a hobby and then use the skills that they've learned from doing YouTube and then apply that to a full-time job somewhere else or a freelance job somewhere else. And other people prefer to have it as their full-time job, which then includes sponsorships and doing presenting and lots of different kinds of opportunities. So it really depends on what people prefer to do in their kind of day-to-day life. That must be really interesting, though, actually, because um, your authority to your audience, your kind of your credibility to your audience is really key, right? Yeah, like, it is. They, they so want to know what, what you think. And, yeah. and at the same time, if you do want to find a way of making it into a job as well as a hobby, mm-hmm. then you need to find a way of getting someone to pay you to do it. Hi, if you follow me on Instagram, I'm pretty sure that by now you know I love going on trips in Ireland and the UK. I love going for a weekend break. I love taking the train to go there. So when Hotel Indigo reached out to me and asked if I wanted to go visit Scotland, go to Glasgow, go to Edinburgh. How do you balance the kind of um, the credibility versus money bit of it? For me, it's quite an easy choice because I know exactly what people know about me and I know that they know what I like. And they'll be so quick to know that if I take on something that I actually don't enjoy, they'll know. So I do try and only do things that I would have done for free otherwise or that I was already initially interested in. Um, That's one of the reasons that I've also kept a full-time job for most of the time that I've done YouTube. And now that I'm also doing other freelancing on the side, I, I do find it quite hard. And I think it can be hard for people to figure out who they want to work with and how they want to manage that because it can be quite unpredictable, really. Like there's months where it goes really well and then there's months where there's nothing. Could you give us an example of something where, you know, maybe it's a product or a book even that you're kind of, in, you're fully behind and you're endorsing, but um, but that also is willing to kind of pay you for talking about them? Yeah, of course. Um, so I went on a trip to Exeter with Great Western. Um, that was really, really fun. I never thought that train companies would obviously be working with YouTubers as well. But when they reached out, I thought, yes, I love to travel. I'd love to go to a city I haven't been to before. And they actually let me go with a friend as well who was a fellow YouTuber. So we went together, we filmed the day there, and basically um, they were running a summer campaign that they wanted us to promote where you could win free tickets. Brilliant. So you filmed the trip, showed off the train, and, and the theme was also... When you take the train, you get to sit back, enjoy, read a read book. Read a book. There yeah. we go. Sure. There's the connection. Yeah. Um, so yeah, got to film a really fun video and let my followers know about the competition, which why would they not want to know about that? Um, so that was, I think, a really good example of a collaboration that maybe people wouldn't have thought about before. But when it came along, it was the perfect match. It's funny you mentioned the trips because one of the things I want to talk to you about was your like absolutely amazing, vivacious appetite for experiences. Like looking at your blog... Uh, watching your videos, you know, you're constantly thinking yeah. <laughs> about the next cool thing. I think it's such a such a it's sort of um, contagious enthusiasm, which is wonderful. You've been all over the UK. 
Where would you say to a Dutch person who's not really been to the UK oh, or maybe not, not left London, what would be your top place to go? Oh, that's really hard because I love the places that are actually quite hard to reach when you don't right. have a car. So I've been on holiday with my parents where I've actually had the opportunity to go to places that I know be harder to get to yes. by train. Uh, but I I loved visiting Stourhead, I think it's pronounced, it where is, they yeah. filmed part of my favorite Pride and Prejudice adaptation. Loved. This is one of my favorite trips I've ever taken. And we did actually go by train that time, so that is doable. Um, and then also visiting the Bronte Parsonage. That was really nice. Um, so where the Bronte sisters lived and, and seeing sort of the burial site next to it as well and seeing the little town. And we, we went on this really old-fashioned steam train. Felt a bit like the Hogwarts Express. That kind of thing I, I absolutely love to do. Yeah. It's a little bit further out, both of them. But I think just hop on a train and It'll be a couple of hours, but once you're there, it's so nice. Um, and then looking again at your blog, one of the things that strikes me is that all the places you go, um, you obviously, because you're very literally minded, you're thinking about the authors uh, and novels that are associated with them. And it, so many towns in Britain actually have a, a sort of literary history, right? You they go, do, yeah. You know, Winchester and you think about Jane Austen or you go up to Edinburgh, obviously you've got Harry Potter. Yeah. And <laughs> there's so many places in Britain that have some link into literature. Very often I don't even know before I go because I'll show up and I'll go to tourist information right. and get some brochures and they're like, oh, you can do the Keats walk. I was like, oh, great. Okay. So yeah, very often I won't even know about it beforehand, but there'll be some really nice plaques everywhere because when a, a town does have that history, they're obviously very proud of it and you'll find out when you get there. And um, one of the things that you talk about on your YouTube channel is about your experiences before you're 30, which is yes. coming up, I guess, next very year. Very soon. <laughs> I feel like this video should be called Expectations versus Reality. If you've been watching my channel since 2011, you might remember how I made a video called 30 Before 30. I made a list with lots of things I wanted to do before I turned 30. At that point, I was 22. Lots of those are kind of... Almost academic things, learning lists of presidents and stuff. But some of it is kind of going places and seeing things and reading yes. books. What's what's kind of next on your list? What's the thing that you're going to be thinking about next? Oh, I've got. I'm going to do a Jane Austen month because mm. I've only read two Jane Austen novels, and I really want to read all of them. And it's one of those things where I'm just going to set myself a month and read all of that them, and then lovely. make yeah. a nice project out of that and get people to read along. And I was also thinking of hosting a screening of Sense and Sensibility and then inviting people along to come and see it with me. So that that'll be one of the things I'm working on. I'm interested in the the literature because you know you are following kind of books that are coming out on a day-to-day basis. What, what do you think of the state of, like, British literature at the moment? When oh, you just think about, a small question. Just sort of, can you just opine on the world, please, and tell us? You know, but it's a fair point. Like, you know, are, uh, are the kind of the themes that uh, people are picking up in modern British literature, do you think um, they reflect people's sort of lived reality, or is it? does it feel quite I, sort I of... I think there's actually a lot of work to be done within publishing and within literature about you know, having more representation of different experiences mm-hmm. and different people. And I think that's yeah. really important. And that's such a conversation that's happening in publishing as well that I do think is going to need a couple more years to get to a point where I think there's a lot more progress. Um, but I think one of the things that interests me as well is people reading. So not necessarily how is literature doing, but how are the readers doing? Are they getting things that they're interested in that they connect with? Are young people 
still reading? Are they being discouraged from reading by what they have to read in school? Those, and, you know, libraries shutting down, those are the things that I think I'm most passionate about. You're right, because there are kind of a st- set of structural things there, aren't there, around um, uh, access to books and, and other things. But one of the things that also people talk about is whether social media actually because of its kind of short-term mm-hmm. attention span discourages people from taking on a 350 400 page novel i can notice it for myself as well i used to be able to sit down for a lot longer and read and now i get interrupted by my phone all the time so i have to sort of put it aside and turn it off or be on public transport and and not get interrupted there but i also think social media is doing such a wonderful thing for getting people excited about reading again. So it is a bit of a mixed bag, but I think things like Bookstagram um, and the Booktube community that I'm part of, I think are doing a a really good job of also giving different people a voice to talk about literature and what they think about it. And there's an amazing podcast called Mostly Lit who are doing that super well. Um, So it, yeah, it's, it's it's a mix, yeah. definitely. People are busy and they feel like they don't have time to read. But at the same time, there's so much amazing content out there about books. And um, the best comments I can get is someone saying, I haven't read for years, but this made me want to pick up a book again. Sometimes there must be books that you read you think, that is terrible. Oh, definitely. Do you, do you ever feel so guilty about kind of going in and being like, this was appalling writing, listen to this? Does that, I mean, does that ever come up? So I don't see myself as much of a reviewer as I right. see myself as a curator. So I read and then I recommend what I like. Of course, if there's something that I like and it has some flaws that I don't agree with or some things that I think could have been better, I'll definitely mention it. But also working in the publishing industry, meeting authors day to day, I do have to make sure that what I say on video, I would be able to say to them face to face. So I don't really make any videos where I completely trash a book um, because I don't really see the point in it, to be honest. I'd rather go and recommend the ones that I like um, rather than do that. Have you ever had a time where you've uh, curated, you've commented on a book and and uh, talked about it on your uh, YouTube channel, but maybe someone who's written it or as close to someone who's written it has taken a bit of offence at the way you've described it? It's always the classics. If I don't like a classic, uh, people basically will say... Well, not everyone, but there will always be some comments, mostly from people that I know aren't subscribed to me because it'll be a couple of months afterwards. They've obviously been sort of looking for it. Um, That'll say, well, you didn't get it because English isn't your first language. So you obviously Mm. didn't get the deeper meaning of it. You didn't get the writing style, which obviously I don't agree with because it's it's fair enough to read a classic and not enjoy it. And very often I won't say, you know, no one should read this. It's just, it's not to my personal taste. Um, So there have been videos that then I've gotten so sick of those comments for years and years because they're older videos that I've just taken them down because didn't see any point in them being around. Yeah, yeah. And um, in addition to to the literature to books, you um, have a a series of causes I think you're passionate about. So um, animal welfare, sustainable living. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you find living your values in London? Is it it possible or do you find compromises every time? It's again, it's a mix where there's so many amazing um, different restaurants, vegetarian and vegan restaurants. Um, I'm still looking for a good bulk store in London to (laughs) open up or combine or buy without packaging. Uh, Obviously, that discussion is happening so much at the moment so I'm just waiting for things to slowly turn around Um, I do think that there's I don't know if there's a massive difference between the Netherlands and England with plastic packaging and things like that and going to your local small supermarket where everything is packaged in plastic now I actually live um, closer to a bigger supermarket where I'm able to get fruit and vegetables without plastic so that that is nice Uh, but I think in general 
I wish I could cycle in London. Personally, yeah, I haven't yeah. done it yet. Um, I'm, you know, cycled my whole life in the Netherlands, sure. but I simply can't get myself to do it in London. I did it once on Christmas Day because it was quiet. <laughs> so empty. Yeah, I cycled all the way through central London <laughs> and that was amazing. Um, but yeah, that's something that I really, really miss and that I'd love I'd be able to do. Um, but other than that, I think there's there are some really great opportunities. I do think sometimes that the Netherlands might be ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, because coming here and seeing lots of shops with sustainable and ethical clothing and that kind of thing, I was really surprised seeing so much of it uh, and more maybe than I've been able to find in London, really. And if you were um, going to give some advice to someone who was moving from the Netherlands to the UK, wanted to do something in the same sort of space, if you were giving advice to yourself six years ago, what um, what advice would you give? I think it would be a mix. So obviously it's work on your passion projects, have something going on the side that keeps you going and as well that um, will help you stand out on your CV if you are applying for jobs. And then also try and make some contacts in that country before you get there. You know, the internet is a great thing. So trying to find some people that are maybe trying to work in a similar sector or, you know, on a forum somewhere. I, I found that so helpful moving to a country and already knowing some people. That was really, really nice. This is my July book haul. My friends Rosanna and Lex are recording their podcast in the other room, so I have to try and not be too loud. These are the books that I have bought and received in July. And I've got a little giveaway as well. Also, I decided to film All right, I want to finish then with um, some quick fire questions. Is that all right? right? So, yeah. bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Let's go. Immediately we go. So this is just to decide, really, where are you most at home? Which side of the North Sea is okay. it here or there? There you go. So, first up, coffee or tea? Tea. Uh, Marmite or Hagelslach? Hagelslach. That's an easy one. <laughs> uh, so British or Dutch literature? Sounds like British. It's, it's had to be British for me, yep. London or Leiden? London. Bake Off or Hilhollenbacht? Oh, neither. Really? Not your yeah, thing? No. <laughs> I've watched a bit of both, um, so I don't think I'd be able to pick between them, but I'm not a massive fan of either. Perfect. All right. Neither goes. And then uh, tulips or roses? Ooh, tulips. 100%. Obviously. Obviously. Yeah. I think there's a definite uh, definite bias on this side of the North Sea and <laughs> the Netherlands here. Um, brilliant. Listen, uh, Sona, thank you so much for joining today. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to Thanks you. Thanks for having me. You. Um, if you're listening to this, please do check out Sona's amazing YouTube channel, Books and Quills, her blog, and uh, in due course as well, her podcast. Um, it's fascinating stuff and really, uh, really interesting. Um, thanks so much and take care. Thank you very much. Doi. Bye. <laughs> I'm Nick Heath, the Deputy Ambassador at the British Embassy, and you've been listening to our Celebrating Connections podcast. We'd love to know what you think of the podcast, so why not get in touch? You can reach me on Twitter at Nick Heath FCO, or you can get in touch with the Embassy on Facebook or Twitter on both. Our pages are UKINNL. That's U-K-I-N-N-L. If you haven't subscribed already, then why not do so today and get all the episodes straight to your device? And please do tell your family and friends about the show too. From me, Nick Heath, thanks for listening. <laughs>